McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 142. Well, it's a disappointing defeat against Plymouth, which could see Pompey's playoff hopes dashed. Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm not so bad, Hugh. Yeah, uh, doing, doing okay. Lovely to chat to you as always. And yeah, it was great to see some of the listeners at, at the Ipswich game and they're in the pub before the game. I can't remember your names. I do utterly apologise. I was very hungover and drunk. Weird mixture. But yeah, well, great to see them. Great to go to that game. But Plymouth was a bit deflating, wasn't it? Yeah. Let's get on to the Plymouth fit in, in, in a minute. It's always good to chat to different people, chat to listeners and round about. Always cool to talk to everyone. I mean, let's be honest, whoever's there out of us, like we're always going to be a little bit, little bit drunk. I did say to people, you have to message me so I can remember, remember the game, their various away days, but always great to chat to people. Unfortunately, Andy's not here. He's still got covid the PO forecast has been hit again by the plague after he was at the Fratton Park game on Saturday. Just gone. Yeah, correct. Get my timelines right. Friend of the show, Jack, chatting to him. A little bit of passion. Accidentally spits in his face a little bit. Makes the joke. Oops, hope they don't have COVID. And they both do now. So hopefully both of you get well soon. Shout out to you guys. Miss you, etc. Andy, maybe be back one day. No, I'm joking. Hope you next week. But yeah, get well soon, Andy. First of all, we're going to review the game against Ipswich. Following on from that, we're going to talk about the rather disappointing loss last night away at Plymouth. And then we put a question out to you guys. Is Pompey's season over? And if it is, what do we need to do to rebuild the squad uh, in the summer? And thanks to everyone who messaged in again. It really makes the show. We really appreciate it. And then we speak to a friend of the show, Alex Broom, who uh, covers Wickham. We speak about all the malarkey, so you guys are ready for everything for the game on Saturday. Right, Freddie? Let's get going, shall we? Let's get going. It's not going to be the easiest one, but let's talk about Ipswich first. Probably set up quite defensively in that game, didn't they? Some people said that we, we came looking for a draw. Do you think it's fair to say that Pompey played for a draw? Or do you think it's more fair to say that Pompey hoped to nick a win and sort of steal, the, steal all three points? They definitely played more defensively. It was quite obvious when when Ipswich were in possession, uh, Pompey played definitely in a flat back five. Uh, the wing backs were very tight, close to the centre halves. Another telltale sign that Hume wasn't playing. Ogilvy was preferred in the left, w- left wing back role. And he's generally a better defender in that sense. The press from Pompey was also lower. According to Y Scout, the average for Pompey's pressing passes allowed per defensive action was 7.9. And in this game, it was 13.96 on average throughout the entire game. So that just shows a little bit of Pompey stepping back a bit, allowing Ipswich to have possession 
then hoping to win the ball in midfield and, and counter-attack quickly, which they did on a few occasions, but uh, the, the final final third quality wasn't wasn't there. Uh, it's not as if they weren't comfortable in the game, but yeah, they did, they didn't do enough to um, score, but defended very, very very resolutely. They did defend very well, but at the same time, we seem to be lacking a little bit of impetus in that sort of number ten position. Ronan Curtis is not having the best spell at this moment in time, and without Marcus Harness or Michael Jacobs to sort of take that role, do you think that really? means that Pompey can't really get forward as well or pose a sort of a primary threat against these better teams in the league. It was one of the reasons why I thought Pompey were a lot more direct uh, in this game and against Plymouth. They missed Marcus Harness a lot. I know some people can get frustrated with some of his passes not, not coming off sometimes, but they're always crisp. They're always through ball in the spaces between the centre-halves. It, it was I felt very sorry for Ronan because it, it's just unfortunate that I think two of his poorer games of the season were in this Ipswich game and against Plymouth for a variety of reasons. He, he was tenacious enough. He won the ball high up the pitch a fair few times, which was very good uh, in that position. But it's just the delivery from set pieces and the passing, which didn't come off, which was very frustrating. It, it seemed like Hurst got isolated a fair bit sometimes. O'Brien was able to chip in and make those runs sometimes, but there just wasn't a passing outlet like there was. If Jacobs or Harness were playing, it was a major miss. Yeah, I felt a little bit sorry for the strikers. A little bit of a thankless task, wasn't it? Trying to press to, to sort of build any momentum up front, but it was a very good defensive display and, and all of the defenders did pretty well. What did you think of Pompey's defence at the back there? We obviously had Robertson playing on the left side, Ogilvy slipping to, to left wing back. How did you think the Pompey defenders played in this game and who impressed you most out of the back line? Oh, excellent. Um, all, 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 all those defenders deserve credit because they don't, they dealt with it which very well. They managed to force them out wide a fair bit. So they had to, had to rely on crossing for all that possession. Dealt with those clearances very well. I think the only one of the main Ipswich players to have any sort of joy finding through passes in between the lines was Connor Chaplin. He played very well as a number 10. He's adapted to that incredibly well. Was able to he was able to bring the ball out of his feet and make some good interchanges with Sonia Luco when he came on. But defensively, all of them put their bodies on the line, dealt with the headers really well. I thought Ogilvy was excellent purely because he linked up with the midfield further forward very well. But he, again, I, I could easily say brilliant things about all those defenders in that game. We sort of struggled though to get the ball forward, and me and you have been chatting about it the game. We were saying that. Really, we were thinking about what Joe Morrell coming on and maybe then sort of trying to get Pompey's passing going a bit more, you know, with Louis Thompson tiring and that kind of thing. It didn't really make that much difference, did it, when Joe came on? Uh, it's not it's not that he, you know, played badly or anything, but Pompey just struggled to get a foothold in the game. You mentioned earlier on, though, you touched on Ronan Curtis' set pieces. This corner delivery is really bad, isn't it? And Danny Cowley had quite an odd reasoning for why Ronan Curtis was on the corners rather than Ryan Sandercliffe. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, and uh, Andy Moon asked this after the Ipswich game in a tweet, and in a tweet he put the reply. Basically, he didn't want Tony Cliff on corners so he could just be in the space defensively and stay further back while Curtis was further forward. Personally, I disagree because um, Curtis is tenacious enough to be able to win a tackle, cover an attacker if, if a counter-attack does arise. And Tony Cliff was proved in the previous game on the Saturday that he was against Accrington that he was these delivery separate delivery is there. He could have changed that to Morel when he came on, which didn't happen. It was clear that Curtis was struggling with set piece delivery and getting frustrated with it. So I would have liked to have seen a change there. 
Yeah, these are all semantics, aren't they? Let's be honest. The, the general game, we came out of the stadium thinking, okay, that's that's a good point against a good side. But that was very sort of beholden on us being able to go to Plymouth and potentially get a win because probably really needed four points, I think, from from two of those two games. So whilst that was an okay point, it, it, it really put pressure, didn't it, on the game. And just moving on to this Plymouth game then on on Tuesday, so that's yesterday, we're recording on this late Wednesday night. It was it was quite clear, wasn't it? Even from the outset, the Plymouth are a really, really creative, good passing team. They get the ball forward very well. The movement's good. They can switch the play quickly. Uh, they get ball into feet. And I was actually really impressed, generally, with the quality that Plymouth had across the squad. Yeah, they played very well, didn't they? Didn't they? You could tell that Stephen Schumacher built uh, built on from what Ryan Lowe did tactically, um, and it was obvious that. Some of their midfielders, Sessegnon, Kamara, drove play very well, were aggressive in the dribble, but also were able to make those through passes to Hardy. And Hardy, Hardy looked dangerous. Hardy and Jackpot both looked dangerous throughout that entire game. Their XG numbers were quite high. And yeah, I think it says a lot in the statistics that they were, they had much more joy in the final third than Pompey did. Pompey's XG was 0.54, according to Scout. Plymouth was 1.77. And you could pretty much tell that from watching the game yourself. Plymouth had much better chances and Pompey was struggling going forward again, just like they did against Ipswich. Seems to be quite a contrast, isn't it? That Pompey seems to be able to score goals against the sort of lesser opposition in this league. But coming up against the bigger teams above us, with the exception of Oxford, we've, we've really struggled, haven't we, to find that sort of killer instinct and well we know we have Marcus Harness and, and Michael Jacobs missing which we touched on in the last game but I think it's just a sort of slight lack of quality to be able to sort of beat these better teams in the league above us uh, it's a bit of both for me um, the lack of quality compared to other oppositions just with the final pass I think is there but it also doesn't help with the the tight schedule the small squad the fact that every game is pretty much Saturday Tuesday constant and the rotate there are li- there's limited rotation options I mean Going back to the Ipswich game quickly, you knew that Morel and Walker were both coming on regardless of who was playing because those are the options, those are the only midfield and attacking options that are really available at the moment without bringing in Mingi or Duet White. So uh, the longer that goes on for, it's obvious that tiredness will set in. I know Danny Cowley said that lying quote, which was which is quite funny to me, but it's just, it seemed quite obvious that some of the players going later on into both those games were getting tired they were getting exhausted which is naturally going to make the passing a bit lower actually though Pompey's passing I don't think was that bad in certain scenarios they had 65% pass accuracy to the final third compared to Plymouth 62 and with progressive passes they had 86% accuracy on those compared to Plymouth 69% so their build their build up passing wasn't bad it was it seemed to just be the passing in and around the penalty area and the set piece delivery, which is frustrating, which makes it more frustrating for fans because it's like that it's like that one killer pass at the end, which is able to create a clear cut chance, which didn't happen. Had a couple of chances, didn't we? I thought Hume actually looked quite good at left wing back going forward. He had one opportunity where he sort of skipped past two players, pushed it forwards, and then he sort of, you know, gets the ball into the box. I think we went a corner off it. And then another time as well, he beats another player, puts it into the box. And I think that, you know, Ronan Curtis is at a stretch and Romeo doesn't quite be managed to get there in time either. But yeah, I think 
it was one of those games that maybe you could have nicked a goal, etc. But I think overall, Plymouth deserved to win the game. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Ryan Hardy, Hardy's goal for Plymouth. Fair enough. I thought Robertson's pass to Thompson, who loses the ball, was a bit too hard. That's why his touch was quite bad. But then he still dawdled on the ball. Plymouth win it high up. Free ball to Kamara, who, who then just squares it to Hardy for the first time finish from memory. And yeah, Pompey didn't get much in the much in the game after that. They had a, Curtis had a few chances which were near enough, but they were half chances at best, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think the goal actually sort of epitomised the way that Plymouth did really well pressing Pompey from the front. And I think that you could see they looked fresher. And with the, with, with the press they did, they pressed in numbers in, in the system that Schumacher has got them pressing in. And, you know, after sort of Pompey then is sort of having to go over the top and try to play over the press, but which you know, sort of works sometimes with Hurst making decent runs actually in the channels, creating some space. And in the first half, especially, made a few runs like that. I remember Romeo making a run over the top as well, which actually looked, you know, looked good. But overall, I think Pr- Plymouth's press at the back didn't give Pompey as much time really to get the ball forward. And when it did go forward, we were sort of the, the attack was quite isolated for that reason. There wasn't we weren't sort of supporting in numbers. And then again, you can see that we turn over the ball with Louis Thompson, and it's the press from Plymouth that causes the causes the turnover as you know linked in as well with the with the pass from Robertson, as you already said, being overhit. So I think the sort of the way the goal came about was actually quite a reflection really on the game. Mm. And also I noticed that it was a strange substitution later on, Robertson coming on for Hume. Purely because I don't think we had anybody else, and Hume must have just been knackered. I think that's the only reason why we could think of it. Danny Cowley said in the interview of Hampshire Live that it was so Robertson can get get some more draw on that right hand side, and the fact he could play for thirty minutes because was since he started the last game. I genuinely don't think that's why. I think it's just that Hume was knackered. I think that, I think that's the only logical explanation that I can think of. But it shows how thin this squad is, and yeah, it, it's. Even though the record, Pompey's record of six wins out of the last eight is excellent, it's it, we, Pompey needed at least four points from those two games. Sounds harsh, but it puts Pompey, it puts the team in a position where nine games left, they they need to win at least seven or eight of them to have any sort of hope at getting in the playoffs at all. And it's the hardest run of fixtures playing teams like Brotherham, Wigan, Bolton, Wickham. This coming Saturday, it's going to be, it's going to, uh, it's going to be very, very, very difficult. I think. Yeah, I think it definitely is, and that sort of leads in, Freddie, to our listener question. So we put it out to you guys, and we said Pompey suffered a huge blow to their playoff push with a one 0 loss to Plymouth. Is the blue season over? What do Pompey need to do in the summer to rebuild the squad? Thanks again to everyone who messes in. It's really appreciated. Makes the show. We love the interaction. So let's get started. George Slater missed in and he said it was always going to be a massive ass to get to the playoffs but my god show a bit of fight Cowley I think was too negative with the tactics but what I saw on the pitch yesterday just shows you where the Eisners have taken us in the last five years mid-table league one footy club I think it's fair to say taking part of what George says there there is an element of just the general depth and quality of the teams above us. They've got multiple options in multiple places. You look at Sheffield Wednesday and other teams around us and you just think they've got more options for the whole slog of the season. And whilst this, the sort of first 11 for us is, is pretty decent on the pitch, do you think that's really why we've we've like sort of fallen at the final hurdles against these better teams? Oh, I agree. Um, the depth in Pompey squad hasn't been there this season, um, unfortunately. I know... This has probably been 
the worst season for injuries that I remember since 2015-16, where Paul Cook's first League Two side lost in the playoffs, when the team was struggling to get a starting eleven sometimes because of because of the massive amount of injuries we had. That hasn't helped. But even if all those players were fit, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, well, there's still going to be the odd youth player on the bench. Where if you're thinking, can is it fair to throw them in? Should I should I throw them in? And it's obvious that they might not be ready. Mingi only getting quarter of an hour against Accrington when we were four 0 up already. Stuart White not playing. It shows that really they're not ready yet to be thrown into um, a playoff race in League One, and that's not a knock on them. They it, both those players have got high ceilings. It's just that they're not there yet, and it seems that the squad depth isn't what it should be for a team that's challenging for promotion, which is always the aim for Pompey every single season. Always has to be. And yeah, it's going to make everything quite hard. Uh, Pompey's points in the table, they currently sit in 10th for 58 points with nine games left. Let's say a miracle happens and Pompey win all of them. That's 85 points, which is just about good enough for playoffs, I think, considering because of just how many teams like Sheffield Wednesday, Wickham, Sunderland, Plymouth, Oxford, MK Dons, Wigan, all competing heavily for those top spots. I think at the very least, to be even close to a sniff, Pompey would have to win seven out of their last nine, if that, to be even in the conversation, which is very, very difficult. And yeah, we'll end up probably saying our favourite phrase, the summer transfer window is going to be all important and how many times have we said that over the past four years five years it's becoming a catchphrase isn't it Fred mm. but it does give us something to talk about going into the summer do you agree with um, George's point that Danny Cowley's tactics have been too negative in the last two games do you think the result could have been any different if we had just thrown caution to the wind and gone, gone with it I understood the flat back five against Ipswich because it was obvious that it should just have always want possession and have a lot more possession. And he didn't want gaps in the defence and didn't want the three centre-halves to be isolated. Because I think if they were, Ipswich would have scored quite easily. So I don't mind that defensive tweak where the pressing was a bit net, was a bit less and they played a lot more on the counter. It's, it's strange. I, think, I do think some of the, the recent tactics were going very direct and not playing as much as in the midfield as we would have liked is down to the other team having a deeper midfield or more accomplished midfield than some of the other sides that have been playing against recently and the tiredness on top. I think those are the main factors. Yeah, yes, I think I think Carly's tactics were more defensive in both of those games to stay to stay in them for longer. But I don't think it was a question of going back as like to like a Kenny Jacket extreme where it was always very defensive regardless of the situation. I think I think if, if Pompey threw a bit more caution to the wind, I think would I think the results still would have been similar, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Tim Foot messages in and he says we left ourselves too much to do to make the playoffs. Despite social media tantrums about, there's a lot of good at Pompey, not least the Cowleys. Focus should be on the squad heading into next year. Danny's small squad strategy is risky, though, with so many games. It's a slog. 
I think it's fair to say we didn't. We thought we were sort of dead and buried, didn't we? A long time ago, before this run came along, when we were looking leggy, we were sort of looking, you know, losing games, and we thought, all right, you know, I think our, the season's potentially over. There's a lot of points to make up and a lot of good teams ahead of us. And then we got on this good run, and you know, potentially you're thinking, okay, if we can keep this momentum going, there's a chance you can almost do a League Two uh, push for you know the end of the season, where we ended up going on that mad run in League Two. But yeah, it's a little bit too little too late. Do agree with Tim there. And I think it's just one of those situations where the squad isn't really complete, is it? This squad is just not quite good enough really to compete with the best teams ahead of us. And we go again in the summer, potentially. We rebuild this squad. I think the only thing for me is, how are we going to rebuild this squad? And this is going to be a question we can speak about really over the weeks. But there's still a lot of question marks about what players are even going to be retained at the club and who's going to be here. You know, rug it out of contract. Marcus Harness out of contract, still not signed. And we're, you know, we're into March, middle of March now. Just hoping that would have got done before January. So there's a lot of question marks out there. And let's hope that Cullen can take a slightly different approach to signing these players rather than letting this all run down to the summer, only for the players to leave and freeze. Mm, yeah, that's going to be a horrible thing, which both of us discussed it, it chatted about over the weekend. Um, I'll give my opinion on where Pompey are in the playoff race. I personally think it's done. I think the gap's too big. That's not to be negative, but I just think we're not we're not going to win at least seven out of our last nine against some of the some of the top teams in this division. I don't think the squad is quite good enough. And on the contract point, I've seen some little bits in the news. There was speculation over the Rico Hackett pre clause in his contract where it, he he has an extension clause, but obviously that contract is pre-COVID under Kenny Jacket, which so it contains a significant pay rise in quotes from a Neil Allen article. So again, I don't know if it's actually a club decision where they're actually concerned about that or if that's just something to consider. But yeah, they may, may hang in the balance. And there's also the Sean Raggett contract, which has an extension, but only kicks in through promotion. So literally if Pompey stay in League One, Braggers' contracts will be up. They'll have to be in t- intense negotiations around that. I think they should retain him purely because the defence for Pompey has been one of the, the key cogs in this season with all the clean sheets, the great defensive numbers and the analytics. So I think Raggett's been a major part of that. Cowley will, will look and should look to extend him. But I do agree, and we, we're going to get we're going to become a broken record with this over the next few weeks. Uh, I hate the way that Pompey deal with their contracts. I absolutely despise it. Literally, wait, waiting until the waiting until right up to the wire to even talk to players about contract extensions. I bet Marcus Harness's agent is talking to other clubs now, other championship teams now. And, and some people might think, "Oh, Harness is not good enough for championship." Well, those calls are going to be in. I bet a low-level championship team would take a punt on him on a free, at least, at least. And he's got he's double figures for goals. I can't remember his assists off the top of my head and, and, his, and his ex and his expected assists, but I'll have a look in a minute. That's a player whose contract should have been locked up in January. I know the budget would have been a bit tight, but come on, you you have to. You probably can't lose these players on freeze. It's just it's poor foresight and poor asset management. And if Pompey keep doing that, they will have less and less money to reinvest. Uh, over the next few summers, simply simply because even if you even if you extend them to sell them, you, the club is leaving money on the table. 
yeah, as we said, you've got to look at the players like Tom Lowry at Crew, who's he's got the extension and he will go. I'm guessing even if you put a release clause in in the contract, so you can agree that contract at a certain value, but you, you've got to you can't let these players go and freeze because Marcus Harness replacement is not going to be a cheap replacement. You don't get a, a guy who's got 10 goals, three assists in the league from, you know, from an attacking midfield perspective. Those players aren't cheap. So if you're concerned about a wage rise, for instance, for that sort of player, you've got to offset that against the cost of maybe 875 grand or whatever it is to try and replace someone like Marcus Harness. And so um, it's cut in. If, for example, we had to replace them, you're going to have to give that player a signing bonus. A major signing bonus because you're competing against other teams uh, in the free in the free agent market, so it's going to be just as bad. Yeah, exactly. So you're probably going to have to overpay those players to come here as well, rather than say go to Ipswich or, or whoever we were talking about. You know, in this league, if Sunderland don't go up, and they're the sort of teams you've got you've got to compete against, and they will pay high wages in comparison to what we pay. So you've got to select the players you want to overpay inverted commas and and just accept that maybe they're slightly inflated on what you think on market value really from my perspective anyway lock them up take it on the chin and move on um and i am pretty concerned that that might not happen but uh, again we don't know until the summer and maybe fingers crossed this has all been sorted and it, it just comes out in a month i hope we're just time. being overly worried yeah <laughs> i hope yeah, we're so just being I. overly worried and then as soon as, as soon as the season's over they go ah oh, ragged extension ah oh, harness extension maybe a maybe a hackett extension and they extend the players, the permanent players who they like, let the others go, all the loan players go back. And maybe all, maybe the potential retained wages from the Paul Downing contract, maybe the John Marquis and the Alice Harrison contracts as well. Maybe after that all goes, they think, okay, this is the budget now, we can build a team together. Or we look at it from a historical way of how Pompey handle, have been handling summers over the past three years where they have let players of value go for nothing because they don't want to pay the what well, don't want to overpay them in inverted commas. Yeah, it's understandable why that worry is there. I'm just trying not to focus on it too much because I'll get very cynical otherwise. Mark Daniels message in he says the season is over is now over. Since the Charlton game, we've shown a new side to this team who've had a lot of challenges thrown at them. We need at least five first team signings and probably another five for squad depth. A long summer ahead. Again, so yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think we ten signings. I think depending on how many players are retained, I suppose we, we need at least ten. Signings. Well, let's have a, let's break it down by position. Let, let's be kind to them and say Danny Cowley wants Alex Bass just to be the number one keeper. Let's go with that. You got Bass and Weber. Uh, Pompey would need, off the top of my head, a right-sided centre half, a right wing back, or two right wing backs actually, because Romeo's the only one. So, so that's three players there. A left wing back to cover Hume, another centre midfield, maybe two centre midfielders, one one young depth piece, and then one one more established, more established league centre mid. Because you're playing two, so you have five for the rotation. If you're still playing a cam, maybe a young cam, or maybe that centre midfielder can play eight behind and the cam just to save a little bit. And two strikers. So that's what nearly double figures there. I think it's I've eight or nine from... people. Are, people are going to throw us back at the, at the at us, but yeah, that's that's the minimum, really, isn't it? That's that's the minimum players you need because you'd like to have a few more younger players who are ready to bring into the system, I suppose, and to be able to play at the same time. So, I think you got it quite quite spot on there, Martin. At least at least eight players minimum, I think. Yeah, at least. 
minimum of eight players and potentially just some depth players who you can you can bring in and out. And if you had an under-21s team, you'd be able to rotate players in and out of that, Fred. But that's the Yeah, as well. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, who, who's playing Pierre Forecast bingo? Uh, that, that, that's, that has to be a square. Yeah, <laughs> XG, a- XG under-23s team. Those are, the, those are the first squares to start off. Yeah, yeah, have a shot if you're doing that game. Jack Chapman is in and he says, the season is hanging by a shoestring. But then again, this was never going to be the season we go up. Agree, Jack. Let's just take it game by game and see where we are in the table. We need to sort out who's going up front, as that's where our issues lay at the moment. Fred, do you feel up front is the is the real problem in this team, or do you think giving them service and creating opportunities for for the strikers is the real issue? I would say when I think when he means up front, he means the final third midfield behind them. Purely the cam. I think if Jacobson, like we mentioned, if Jacobson Harness were playing in those two games, I think the XG would have been higher purely because more chances would have been created for Hurst and O'Brien. That partnership is not bad. I don't, I don't mind it. Um, whether you'd want that to be the partnership again next season, you know, that that's debatable, really. But it's just in those two games that's where the lack of creativity is, and it's been fairly frustrating. And you're looking at the summer and thinking, are Pompey really going to extend Jacobs? I think it's doubtful purely because of his wages I hope they extend Harness <laughs> I, I hope and pray they do that obviously but even if you just extend Harness there's st- I think there's still a quality player they're missing in that in that midfield or maybe even up front because they're probably going to have to try and replace a Hurst type player who's a target man who, could, who can who's, where the ball sticks to his feet who's able to link up play but also be very mobile. That's actually quite a hard preset to fill, isn't it? It's not like a traditional target man role. It's almost like a complete centre forward who ideally would be a bit more prolific. And that's going to be very, very difficult, I think. Do you think it's possible we bring George Hurst back on loan? I know it's not something that happens too often, but I can't see him you know, pushing to get into the Leicester team, let's be honest. And I don't think he's necessarily done enough over the season for some sort of championship team to come in and, and make a bid for him there. So do you think it's a potential we could bring him back? If you manage to bring back O'Brien, you know, as well, then you still need to get another striker. I don't think Tyler Walker's going to be here next season. Uh, I wouldn't mind if they bring back Hurst and O'Brien, um, if the other options aren't out there. If you, if you can't see anybody, anybody if Cowley can't see anybody better, that's obvious, then... Extend uh, giving O'Brien a, a contract if he deserves it, probably probably a two-year deal or a, or at least a one-year deal with an option of a second, and then maybe reloading Hurst for the season. That might be the way to go, and then maybe another striker alongside them, someone who who's got like a prolific resume with uh, than like Tyler Walker, but is not just a penalty box striker because I think it's quite clear that since since Marquis and Walker at the moment haven't worked at this club. I think it's obvious that the tactic needs our strikers to be a little bit more than that. So yeah, I think it's that that's definitely a position on the shopping list. Bring back Paul Benson's what you were saying at the weekend, wasn't it? Uh, don't say that. I, I forgot he even played for Portsmouth until you reminded me in those dark days. I, I thought Jack Compton was one of the players that made, made my skin crawl from that time. But no, Paul Benson is also up there. Isaac McLeod, bring the man back. Is he still playing? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Just I'll drop it in there, see what your reaction was. John Lish messages in and he says, unless they get three points against Wickham, it's over. 
John, I think it could be over now. But at the same time, if they don't get three points against Wickham, it really is over. That's absolute nail in the coffin, if that's the case, I think. Just bring a big coffin, like cardboard cutout in that case, to the game, Fred. No, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's usually done by teams that were, that want... The, that are on the brink of administration or want their manager or want their chairman to go or something I don't think you know but not finishing the top 10 yeah not finishing the top 10 is a bit that's a bit much isn't it it's it's like it's like an Arsenal fan moaning they finished fifth or something It's, it's not the same no no it's not it's fine I would not be bringing any cardboard cutouts to the game so uh you don't have to worry about that if you stood next to me Nigel Lawrence messaged in and he says time to focus on next season Prioritise a bigger squad, less reliance on loans, and starting by retaining those who will shape the spine next season. A lot of work to do. Got to trust the Cowleys, but also lies with the true on-pitch ambition of the owners. We'll see. Play up Pompey. We've been saying this as well, isn't it? Jury's going to be out after the season. Because you've had that three... Did we say that last season? I don't think so. Well, maybe we did, but at the same time, we did say as well, it would take a few transfer windows to sort of complete this. But even Eric Eisner said on the interview there, he said that Danny said he needs three transfer windows. This is the third one now. We've had a season, a bit like when Cook rebuilt the squad in the first season of League Two. He had a year. He had to tear it out, rip it out, buy, bring new players in. And then next season, we end up going up. So it's just one of those things, really. And I think... We give the Cowleys the summer. and But just focusing on something quickly there that Nigel pointed out, the reliance on loans. I think with loan options, they've got to be there to boost the already core squad that you have. You have a core squad. You add in some loans to really sort of help push the, the team up in quality over the, over the next level. Otherwise, you've got to look at what's happened to teams like Lincoln, who have then you know lost Brennan Johnson. He's now ripping it apart. Lost Callum Morton. Yeah, yeah. And then you see, you know, suddenly their whole, the spine of their team or, you know, the flair players, the quality they've had has disappeared and they're struggling down the bottom of the league. I think if you want to get promoted as well, you don't want to get promoted purely with those players. And then you're in the championship, you lose them and then you've got to start all over again. So I do agree, Nigel, we've got to try and build a core team and then add loans to just sort of pad the team yeah, out. Loan, loans supplement good teams. That's what, that, that's what the... That, that's how you utilise them or maybe you, you use the loan market to get a player which you wouldn't have been able to get otherwise without spending a ridiculous amount of money Gavin Bazzini for instance exactly off the top of my head um, you could even say Hayden Carter at this rate because it, it, when we were looking at right side of centre-halves we were struggling to look for right side of centre-halves in January who were even on a level of Hayden Carter's ability so bringing in a loan like that is good, but maxing out the options purely. I don't like the fact that you max out the options on loans. My dad despises it, but he's very old school about these sorts of things. I wouldn't go as far as to say that they don't, don't try or are not interested. I think they are, but long-term squad planning, you don't plan around focusing on loans all the time. Not at Portsmouth Football Club anyway. It's just, like you said, if Pompey get promoted with max loan slots and they're for, if, for example, if they all play, if five out of your starting 11 are all lone players and they go back and then they don't go back to your side if you get promoted, you're, it's, it's, where's, the, where's the spine of the team? Where's the spine of the team? Good, good teams that get promoted and stay there, there's a continuity about their sides. They don't completely chop and change it. They add quality, obviously, but the spine of it is usually still there to try and 
keep that momentum of winning going into the next season against harder opposition and with lone players you just can't do that we don't want to be having this revamp of the squad such an overhaul every season and going through that like we're going to have to do in the summer so let's hope that we can build a team in the summer that allows that Mick meshes in he says a clear out will happen as the loanies will go along with the out of contract players so there'll be no choice but to rebuild again but it must be a permanent contracted players that's the only way forward for a team to gel and be competitive for any promotion push. Well, Mick, we completely agree with you. We just mm. touched on that. Mm. So I think I think it's about twelve senior players out of contracts. That might include loans. I didn't check to be honest with you, but I think that's the total. It's quite a lot. I haven't checked it either, but mm. we'll see. John English mushes in. He says the season is over, lads. A lot of positives going forward. Although we'll, we have a lot of good players leaving in the summer, which is going to feel like another overhaul. Let's hope we're able to maintain a couple of good players and that the scouting recruitment is on point. Fred, talking about the scouting and recruitment, did you want to talk about the director of football stuff? And uh, It was only a small thing. Uh, Roberto Gagliardi just being employed by the scum owners. So that's something. He somehow managed to get another promotion. <laughs> well, you said you called him a chancer, Freddie. So, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I, 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 I tried to get away from that and have some journalistic integrity. But no, he, you aptly reminded the listeners that I did say it was a chancer um, based off of I will say though based off of very very limited evidence and not knowing the man personally so and not being involved in Portsmouth Football Club either just to make those caveats before they go and sue me nah yeah you should have heard what you said off there that's the message <laughs> ain't over until it's mathematically over but it's one hell of a mountain to climb now we need two or three Jacob Standard signings next season, along with some other good players. We can't compete at the top of the table if we don't have quality squad depth. I mean, Jacob's been one of the best players we've had this season when he's played. So effectively saying we need two or three new star players and that's going to cost a fair amount of money. Jury's out on the ownership. Are they going to invest in those sort of players, Freddie? Uh, well, considering that Michael Jacobs' wage is probably maybe too rich for the blood of the owners it seems he might go to a, a top tier league one side or a championship side uh, unlikely <laughs> unlikely it's going to be very hard but again I want to be surprised so I'm going to stop repeating ourselves because we're going to be repeating ourselves a lot I think over the next few months as the season wears on talking about the summer so we'll just have to wait, wait and hope that good news breaks and we go from there really yeah, then we can start seeing how a team forms, comes together, etc. And yeah, but it's quite true. We can't compete with the quality at the top of the table just purely because of the depth as well. I do think that's right. Adam Dark messes in. He says, weirdly and improbably, we could still do it. Game in hand takes us within five points, but we won't. Score too thin and don't score enough goals versus better sides. I think that's fair enough, Adam. I think we just said that as well. We agree. Yeah. Uh, Graham Underwood, mm. sorry. Yeah, the, yeah, the goal, uh, Pompey's team goals scored compared to some of the other sides up there has been an issue. I've got it up there with me. Uh, goals for Portsmouth's uh, 53 goals. Every every side above them in the table has more than that. Uh, the lowest being 57 with Ipswich and the highest being 73 with Oxford, which is a bit mental. It was mainly, I think Portsmouth's defensive record was obviously up there and obviously that goals for record re recently has gone very high with Battery uh, with Pompey battering teams like Accrington, Doncaster, 
etc which has helped but for long periods of the season Pompey were having issues in the final third and just compared to the uh, the other playoff rivals uh, Pompey aren't good enough in that regard I don't think Fabula misses in and says season's not over after our first defeat in eight games no need for a knee-jerk reaction Playoffs have long been out, just out of reach. They need to calm down and move on to Saturday. Same as if we got a result at Home Park. We should sell assets to increase the summer budget. When he's just talking about assets, Freddie, do you think he's referring to anyone in particular? Because uh, what sort of assets do we actually have <laughs> long term? Um, Ronan Curtis. He's the, he's, the, he's the only player with, that's worth significant value who's on a long term contract. The rest of them are all um, up in the summer, unless you want to. Flip Jamie, try and flip Jamie Ingi to Wrexham again for six figures, which won't be that high. Yeah, I think if, if the owners are relying on that to try and boost their wages and transfer budget, they're in for a rude awakening, really, when the teams get relegated and the sides that stay in this division, they just won't care and will just spend over what Pompey have. And if Pompey run into the same frustrations again and finish in the same position, then the fans are going to be very frustrated and some but may become apathetic about the situation all right we're gonna have plenty of time fred to talk about this rebuild in the summer and where we are but let, let's move on then all right we spoke to a friend of the show alex broom we spoke to alex before uh the playoffs when we did a little playoff matchup we had george ellick do oxford and alex did wickham and we had a little chat about where we're going a little chat about saturday where wickham are yeah, what Alex's expectations were for Wickham this season? Did he think they should get promoted? And then just talking about general things about Pompey, having a laugh. We know each other quite well, so this should be quite fun for you guys to listen to. So here's our chat with Alex Broom. All right, I'm here with Wickham reporter Alex Broom. And Alex, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me on, Hugh. Nice to be back. Feels like a little while since we were, it was before the League One playoffs in 2020 when we were last chatting yeah when we uh we chatted to you about who we thought was going to go up and me and freddie arrogantly said we didn't think it was going to be wickham uh you came quite strongly saying you had a quite a good shot a good shout anyway and you know behold you were right all along alex so uh there you go yeah i, I think i think i said oxford might have, we're going to go up at the start of that but i said we, we might have a better shot than what the bookies were offering and yeah I mean obviously Oxford didn't go up and we did so we guess we'd have a better shot than what the bookies were offering Alex you're the only person I know who who covers a team who when the team gets promoted goes out on the lash with the chairman afterwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did you enjoy that? yeah that was um, good fun going in Wickham um, Town Centre with um, Pete Keurig the day after we won the playoff final I mean it was quite annoying that we couldn't actually go to the playoffs and that but then I just we got WhatsApp Pete the morning after saying, how's your head? And he put, oh, he wants to go out drinking. I said, well, I'm off work, fancy a pint. And then lo and behold, we're, we're in the pub at about 10am on, I think it was a Tuesday morning, it was a playoffs on a Monday. And yeah, it's, it's good fun, good laugh. Pete's always um, game for a couple of drinks with the fans. So yeah, it's, it's nice to have, um, nice to have um, the senior members of the club um, so interactive with the, the community and the fan base. Yeah, exactly. I think you guys have got some sort of season ticket. We're doing almost a Netflix subscription, so you can basically subscribe like like on your phone or whatever, and then um, sort of do like a monthly payment that goes over the season. It's like a twelve month one rather than just sort of yeah. That's um, I think Wanderers TV. I think that was um, bought to the that was um, bought in by the media team. It must have been uh, since the turn of the year, 
And I think it's just instead of I follow, because I follow is a little bit, I think you guys probably have the same experience, a bit, just a bit dead, isn't it? Like, it doesn't you could be honest, it, it's dreadful a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah, it's rubbish. Um, so we just, I think the media team thought, let's just revamp this a bit, put a bit of, um, put, give it a bit of originality, put a bit of effort into it. And yes, yeah, it seems to be going down well. You've got a lot of interviews on there. You can watch full replays of um, classic, like, good Wiccan games over the years. Not so much the bad ones. I hope they don't put the bad ones on there anyway. And it, it, I've not got the subscription myself, but it looks as if you do get a fair bit for, for your money. So yeah, that's um, that's good. Can you also like, pay for your season ticket on a month-to-month, 12-month thing? I think I saw this coming out of Wickham generally. Can you pay for your season ticket in that way? Yeah. Or? Yeah, you um, can get a month-by-month um, subscription for the season ticket, which does help. Like, with, Obviously, it helps with costs when you're putting it down over the 12-month period because I think... Uh, especially uh, since um, the new owners have come in, they have sort of um, re-evaluated the club from top to bottom, really, and the ticket prices did go up. But that, that sounds the bad thing, but they were genuinely so cheap before. I think I remember before I used to pay £5 for a ticket in the terrace when I was at under 18, which is just stupidly cheap. Like, I've always felt guilty paying so little. Like, it was just just too cheap, really. And they're the readdressing the prices. I mean, they're, they're not super, they probably matched the, the average for the league, which I guess is the the date they went off to set the new prices. So having the option to pay for it by month by month basis does definitely help those who might be stretched by the prices increasing. Yeah, it must be. Well, now we've done the latter in, let's get into the, the general stuff. It's nice yeah, to, to catch out Germany, Alex. But so at the start of the season, you've obviously come down. When you come down from the, from the championship, you're obviously hoping to go back up again. You're currently in eighth, but what are your expectations for the start of the season? Were you hoping to go back up and did the fans expect to get promoted again right away in this tough division? Uh, at the start of the season, I was, I would, I didn't have my heart set on a top six finish or promotion. I think obviously that's when you, I think any team when they're relegated, you, you're automatically sort of looking, can we get back up? Like, how strong is the top half of the division? Where do we realistically see ourselves? And I was sort of, I was, I was analysing, well, not really, I was just having a quick flick through the teams and um, the squads of the other League One clubs. And I felt we had a realistic chance for the top six. I didn't think we'd be um, a runaway. Like, I didn't think we were, had a self, don't think we had the divine right to be challenging. I felt that it's, there are a lot of good big teams in this league. I mean, you just look at the money clubs like Ipswich were spending in the summer. It's, like, it's, so difficult to compete with that when um, you're a smaller club like Wicked, albeit coming down from a relegation um, from the league above. So it it, it had to be, um, I don't think anyone within the Wickham fan base was expecting to go back up straight. I think people were hoping to challenge and we, we have done for the majority of the season. We had a little bit of a blip um, a month or so ago with seven games without a win, which was incredibly painful at such a crucial um, stage of the season. I think that between February and May ultimately is where like the seasons won and lost, really. I think you're sort of setting yourself up for that period of game, really. The first um, two thirds of the season, the final thirds, just where the form teams generally do find their way into the playoffs or automatic promotion. I like just look at what MK Donald have done. They've hit form at the right time. They've gone from playoff challenges to having a realistic shot of going up automatically. So, it's timings are quite important in this league. Like we so we started off the season really well, and I'm thinking, yeah, we. Like there was a point where I was thinking we could generally go up as champions, which would have been surreal. Like one of my dreams is to see Wickham like lift a league title. I mean, haven't quite managed it yet. We've got had a few automatic promotions in the playoff win since I've been a fan, but not quite managed to win a title. So the fact we um there's a point where I was thinking we we've got a good chance of this, but it was quite surreal for a stage. But then 
that was, I think, yeah, when we beat Oxford on the 15th of January, we were top of the league, like being top of the league after Christmas. I mean, you're not there by food, you're obviously a pretty good side. And I was thinking, well, let's just, I, mean, I know Wigan, I think at that point, Wigan had five games in Candlemas, which is, it was just tough. Like, it was just so many to have um, stored in. But I was thinking, yeah, we, we could actually, like, get promotion here. But then after we beat Oxford to go top, we didn't win for seven. And then we just caught from crashing back down to earth. And now we're sort of getting back on track, one three at the last four, and the other one being a draw against top of the league, more than them. So they're sort of back in form now. But it's, it's, it seems that that seven games without a win might have um, costed us more, really, than people would have would have wanted it to. Uh, who do you think the key players are for Wickham at the moment? Because obviously, look at some of the signings. Sam Vokes, with his 12 goals and four assists in the league. Gareth McCleary, still very good. Seven goals, six assists. He's getting himself about there. But if you had to pin it on a few players whose performances will be integral from now until the end of the season who would they be and why yeah it, it's it's definitely um votes for me like he's just um, an absolute level above this league he's someone said to me the other day is he the best striker in the Wickhamshire and I was sort of I think statements like that are pretty like conclusive and can or you can often like jump the gun on that but I had a little thing it was like he just definitely is he's absolutely sensational um his his hold-up play, the way he brings the ball down, some of his touches to bring um, the inside forwards and the runners off into play is just sensational. He doesn't really lose many headers. Like he's just, I think it's pretty well known that up until the final third, we can play quite directly. So it's really important to have a focal point up there who can win the knockdown, bring other players into the game. He does that and he does that just so, so well. He's um, a goal threat as well. I think he was on 12 for the season now in the league, which is like that's We, we haven't had him a 20-goal season striker for... 11-12 with Stuart Bevan we were in League 1 and we got relegated so that was 11 years ago so we're not really used well I'm saying not really used to it Akin Fenn was chipped in with um, 18 a couple of times but it's it's um, it's we don't, our, our play doesn't rely on the striker scoring bucketfuls of goals and it, has, it hasn't done at all really under Ainsworth so it's nice that we've got him scoring a lot of goals each week um, whilst he's probably our most I'm trying to think how to phrase this he's probably our most important player for the way we play I'd say our most important player for well to be fair in equal importance is um aggressive ball winning midfielder Josh Gowan like he's he's played um since he left Wickham back in 2015 he's been um in the championship with Sunderland Barnsley and QPR and he's you can just tell he's spent a lot of his um a lot of his recent playing career in 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 the higher league his passing range is so so good he's so aggressive winning the ball back like as soon as um it's like um, on Football Manager when you've got um, the you know the tactic get get I can't say it. You help me out. Gegen press, whatever it's called. Gegen press. Gegen press. That's the one. Yeah, it's like he's just would be perfect for that. As soon as you lose it, it's just like swarming around midfield, getting it back from the opposition's number tens, and really not giving um, a, um, the the opposition a second to breathe when you're in and around the the um, number ten spot for as as they would line up. So yeah, he's um, a really important player as well. Um, we've I think um, it's good to have um, Tafazoli and Anthony Stewart back together as a centre-half pairing. I think uh, most people who know the division would be able to tell you they're two of the better centre-halves in the league. Like, in, since they've been back together, we've conceded one goal in the last four games so and we, ha- we haven't lost. So I don't, that's not really much of a coincidence. They're a really, really solid foundation to build out from. So it's it's been a case of sort of getting the best players back and getting them up to form. And that's really how this better run of form started to come about so it's been it's been definitely been better the last four games it was seven games before that 
Yeah, I was going to I was going to touch on the defenders there with with Tafazoli and and with Stewart as well. Obviously, you have got Jacobson at left back. Probably fans will know who he is already. Joe Jacobson, very good player. Missed that penalty against us, but that's not really a, a usual thing or a reflection on Joe. Was oh any... yeah, I forgot about that actually. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Okay. I know. Are, are you guys playing? So I look at your formation setup. And I was going to ask a question based on that. Are you guys still playing the three at the back? I noticed in the last game you sort of played a back four and went for, went for that sort of system. It, you know, is is that is that a change in tactics from Gareth Ainsworth? Was that like a home in a way thing or well, you know is that just a tactical change to tell you it's, it's so it, it's so weird it's like for, for so long Ainsworth was just so stubborn playing with 4 3 3 a couple of years ago but now it feels like his as he would probably be the first to admit himself he's improved tactically as a manager and he's sort of got the flexibility and as well as that the personnel at his disposal to mix up the tactics like each week so the, the last few games, so I keep running back to the last four games, but it is since we've been in this um, unbeaten, well, I mean, it's only four games, it's not enough to get too excited about. Um, we've been playing um, the four at the back and, um, yeah, it's been, like, it's been key of that, it's been getting um, the midfield diamond and show. We've had um, at the base of the diamond, Scowan, and then Lewis Wingham and Matty either side with um, Daryl Horgan sort of spearheading the top of it and it's, it's worked quite well. Like, Lewis Wing's been a pretty, pretty good player for us in the last couple of games. Like, he was, um, Heavily criticised by Sheffield Wednesday fans in the first start, first half of the season, that he just really was on loan. They didn't really do that well, and he sort of come in and he wasn't that great for us the first couple of games. I think this system suits him well. He gets in the ball quite a lot, and he and he knocks it about quite well. Like he's um quite a good technical player. I think like get, having someone having a formation which helps um how helps him um exploit his passing range. He's a he's a good passer of the ball. It's it's quite it's quite good for us, and I think that's. But that's um been pretty much down to why we've gone to this um four back formation really to help just get the better the better out of the midfield players wing Mimetti and Scowams. They're all pretty good technically on with the ball and passing it about. Yeah, one player you haven't mentioned who I thought was a very good buy in the summer, Sully Kai Kai. Uh two goals, five assists I checked in the league this season. Played really well at Blackpool, um, mainly because they're four 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 three three, getting high up the pitch, being very aggressive. What's what, what have his performances been like? Uh, what are your opinions on him? He, he didn't feature too much um, before Christmas. He then went, um, I mean, he probably played a handful of games, majority coming off the, probably played about 10 games, I'll say a handful of starts, majority coming off the bench. And then then he went to the Africa Cup of Nations of Sierra Leone and he's come back and he played really, really well. He scored against Wigan and Accrington, got an assist in that, in that little, I can't even remember who it was again. So I have to, I've got in my mind. My, was it more? I can't remember. And either way, he got he got an assist. Um, in uh, he got three, got two goals and an assist in two games, which is like pretty good going. Like, and he was playing well, but I think he just got he got dropped just to cater to this um change of formation and change of system. And he's um just found his way out of the team just for tactical reasons. Like, it's not because he's been underperforming. It's just tactically he wasn't really fitting into the set of things I've wanted to go with. Yeah, I mean, Sonny Koko is interesting. He always scores against us, by the way, for Blackpool. He's always the player that absolutely tears us apart. We played against them. We never seem to match up very well against them. And he's always that player who's caused Pompey problems. So um, I suppose for you, from your perspective, he could be quite a good player to bring on if you need someone to create a creative spark sort of later on in the game. Would he be utilised on the bench in that system? Um, yeah, well, it's definitely possible. I think I was watching um, Ainsworth's interview after the game yesterday and he hinted that there, that there will be changes made ahead of... Um, the game against Portsmouth, he said that if the players are tired a little bit, we've got a chance to freshen things up with those who who haven't been playing. And 
I was actually in a box um, in the game yesterday. I saw Kai Kai coming. He, was, he wasn't on the bench. He wasn't on crutches, but I thought he might have been injured because he was sort of in that area as well. Like He was like, not where like the match day squad and staff was with like where like the, the formal and the executives go. So I, I don't know if he's injured, but it was it was good to just see him. Like, he, was, he was in the vicinity. So like, he, could, he could possibly be injured. I don't know. that's not said anything, but I think he'll definitely, if he um, is fit, he probably would be in the squad. Like he's a, pretty good player and he's done he's done well for us really in the few games he has played oh, interesting actually because sorry Fred do you want to go yeah please um, oh I didn't mean that. <laughs> <Got a bit laughs> <of tension. laughs> sorry uh, on, mate. W- one thing I wanted to mention that uh, l- the last game Pompey played against Wickham Marcus Harness getting the goal in the 73rd minutes we hit 1-0 we, we managed to see it out um, there was some chat before the game about Pompey not being fiscal enough to deal with Wickham and the players managed it somehow. What did you think of that game from a Wickham perspective? I, I knew and, you were going to ask this. And, 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 do, and do you think the team is better than it was in that game? I think that... Like, I, I, I I don't want to sound that bitter, but I was really... I, I felt Portsmouth were... I genuinely felt Portsmouth had an off day. I didn't think you were very good at all. Like... I felt the, the goal was obviously in the counter-attack. I think mean, we missed the penalty. Um, Alex Bass made two absolute wonder saves um, towards the end of the game. We comfortably won the XG battle. And it, it wasn't just a case of me being the typical sort of bias we could find how hard done by. I generally just walked out thinking, how on earth have we lost that? And it was, it was a professional a professional defensive performance. Like You did pretty well to keep us at bay for some points, especially during the later parts of that game. But compared to... The games which you played against Portsmouth in the past has been an absolute onslaught. I remember the game against Boxing Day on um, the season we went up. You played us off the park for the whole game, and you thoroughly deserved that win. So it's not a case of me not being able to admit, admit when we're not the better side. I, I just felt as if we were pretty. Like, we just got a bit unfortunate. I mean, it wasn't like we got cheated out by a poor referee decision. You gave us a penalty. Like it, it was only ourselves to blame with wasteful finishing, really. But it, it was a bit of a tough one to take because when you're playing. Um, when you play well against a good side like Portsmouth and you don't get the win, it's always going to be a bit oh, like an opportunity missed in a way. But yeah, you you, you took your chance that came your way. We had wasteful finishing. That's really I felt how the story of that how the story of that game went. And you did defend quite well, as you said, matched up to the to the physicality of our team. I think that probably would have been a thing which a few Portsmouth fans were worried about. Because it's well known Wickham are physical, and you're probably more te- well, you're definitely more technical side than us. Like, how would you match up to it? And you you handled it pretty well. So yeah, fair play. It was a good win for you. I just double checked the XG for that game from Wickham. According to Wyscott, Wickham had 3.63 3. 3.6. Wow, mm. that must be the highest we have to see. I didn't realize it was that. I did at the time. What about that? Yeah. Well, what was Portsmouth? Let me guess that. Uh, oh, guess it XG early. Uh, 1.25 was Portsmouth, okay, according to Wyscott. Yeah, so yeah. were you looking at rounding it up and down 4 1 to Wickham's like the fair score on XG? So it's not as if I'm coming out and chatting utter, utter rubbish. Like, right? mm. my hunches were matched by that but the football's not one on XG otherwise you just everyone would just be spamming shots as soon as they get anywhere near the penalty area so it's it's how you take the chances and yeah you you, you defended us and uh, you defended the long balls in quite well and it is what it is like the, the, it's it's a tough game to lose and but I wasn't I wasn't I was happy with the, was really happy with the performance just frustrated with the result but it's similar to last night I mean I was the performance was okay, but the result was what we needed. So it's just just how it goes in football. It's a sport and why we love it so much. Like you can you can play amazingly in news, you can get battered for game and nick, nick a goal late. It's just why everyone loves this sport so much. 
It's quite difficult, really, because you were talking a minute ago, Alex, about how you're going to rotate the squad potentially, um, how Gareth Ainsworth has that option to freshen it up. Portsmouth at the moment do not have that option. We've got a really small squad, probably one of the, the smallest squads in the league at this moment in time. We've got a couple of injury issues, etc. I don't know if Michael Jacobs is going to be fit to play in this game again, but it would be a first game back. If he does play, I'm guessing it would be from the bench, but... We we look like a squad who's who's pretty tired, you know. So you know we've got six wins, two draws, and one loss against Plymouth on Tuesday night. So our form's been pretty decent, but you know for all, for all the talk of you know a small squad, we can't get tired. If I think Danny Cowley said, you know, if a lion burst out chasing you, you're not just going to stand there, you're going to leg it. And you know, that's our that's our <laughs> Did mentality. You say that? I love that. Yeah, I love yeah, that. yeah. That's paraphrasing pretty much. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, so I think it's going to be an interesting one because when you play against Wickham, who's going to be a physical battle as well, we look quite leggy at the moment in time, which I think maybe will favour you in this game on Saturday. Yeah, we've um, we've been operating with a small squad for so long up until the last couple of years, so I completely um, see your points and feel where they're coming from. When it gets to the business end of the season, you, you often get the smaller squads just catching up with you and sort of tailing away a little bit. So it's, but then again, that's not really happened. Like with Ports, if anything, like up until um, last night, your form's been really, really good. It's been getting better, if anything. So it's, it's, it's a strange one, really. Um, yeah, I mean, when you when you've got a small squad, it's always going to be a case of getting the most out of what you've got. You've got some youth players who might have to step up, fill onto the bench, and possibly even get onto the pitch a few times. Um, a couple of players which show who uh, I think George Hurst played well against us in, in the first game. He's one player I was impressed with. And Marcus Harness always I always like him when he plays. I mean, I've not obviously I don't watch him as often as you guys, but probably the five or six times I've seen him play. I used to um I did work experience at Burton Albion. He was always really good for them when he was there. So he's just a player who I've always really, really liked. I like his I like his style. I think he's um really, really good um ball carrier and offers quite a lot. And Ronan Curtis as well. He always seems to have a good game against us. He's he's um he's a character as well. I quite like this tweet to the Oxford fans after um you beat them the other week. That was yeah, that made me chuckle funny. a bit. Yeah, that was that was quite funny. He's um he's very hot and cold at the moment in time, but you know we could do with him being quite hot in this game. I think the thing the one one point I suppose we've got really going on to just really touching on the end on Saturday is that you guys really obviously need to win this game. It's, it's, it's earmarked as a definite win needed for you to to carry on your push on the playoffs. And Pompey, I think, are looking at the playoff picture now. And I know Hayden Carter, the defender, came out and said, you know, we won't give up. But it does seem like that the, the loss against Plymouth really has, has ended our playoff hopes as, as a team, really. If you look at if you look at the league table now. So it's going to be interesting to see to Pompey come out and actually not give up and think that's fine after being on such a long sort of run or, or do the guys, you know, obviously not, not really like sort of like consciously, but do they just turn up and go, I think, you know, I think this is it. And then we've, we've got some really tough games coming up again after that. We've got to play Rotherham. We've got to play Sheffield Wednesday. So I think for us, it's going to be a situation where we're probably dead and buried now. So if Wickham can turn that up and bring it to us, I think we might be in with a, a difficult afternoon on Saturday. Yeah, I feel like, what's it, what have you guys got, eight games left? I feel like you've probably realistically got to win seven out of those eight to be able to get in. It's not just, it's just because the league's at the top end is so competitive. Like I was speaking um, with um, one of my friends earlier. We were saying you might even need 80 points to finish in the playoffs, which has got to be close to like a, an all-time high. Because when you're coming out of League 2, 80 points generally is a benchmark for automatic promotion. But then you go up in League to League 1 and 80 points only just gets you in the playoffs. Like it's crazy, like the, the step up in quality and... Um, how, how much you actually really need to do this season, this season to finish up there. You've got so many teams in good form, like Plymouth, 
Sheffield Wednesday, MK Dons and Wigan. Well, they were just all, just seems, feels like they've been winning every week recently. Even Portsmouth, Portsmouth you've had such a good run of form recently. Oxford as well. Like there's, there's so many teams up there just feel like they're winning every single bloody week. Like we've won, we've taken 10 points for the last 12 and slipped down the league. Like that, that's how competitive it is up there. Like it, it's crazy. The standard at the top of this league is crazy. And Ipswich as well is another one I forgot. There's just so many teams who feel like they're in really good form. Bolton, they went on um, a really good run like, just now. Like, there's so many teams who like, and they're not just like teams coming into football. They're big clubs. Like they're all, everyone, all of those clubs are be aiming to be aiming to get promoted. Like it's crazy how high the standard has been this this um, season in League One. So I think it's there's, it's no um, there's no shame in um, missing out on the playoffs. So that's the way, the way I'm looking at it. If we miss out, it's probably the same way you guys feel. Like if you miss out on it, like, to be fair, more so you. I mean, you probably have a more. Um, I don't know how to phrase this. Like. A lot of clubs feel like they've got a divine right to finish in the top six. And then I mean probably ten to twelve teams are aiming there. And if there's gonna be four or six teams disappointed, I mean like if, if personally, if we don't finish there, I'm yeah, I'm gonna be like like annoyed, but I'm not gonna be like throwing like my toys at the pram and be winded about like it, it's football, like things like that happen. Like put a big club like Portsmouth, I mean, of course you should be like you should be well above League One level, like based on history and your, your fan base. It's just the way it is. But I feel like that there's going to be there's going to be teams who big clubs who are going to miss out. It's just that people they've got to take it. Like it'd be not it'd be naive of someone to want to want um for instance say if you miss out in the playoffs to want to get rid of the manager. Like I feel like he's definitely getting you like you can see right, if anything from this one of form like he's starting to really embed his ideas and philosophy, getting more of the players he wants to. Like, he's made some big calls. I shipped out John Marquis. It was like quite a big signing at the time. Like not really working with the manager you got in. Like you don't do that unless you feel like you're being backed and you've got sort of a long-term project to work there. I mean, obviously it didn't work out as under jacket how probably most people would have thought it would, but he had like, was it two and a half seasons he had? No, it's quite a bit. Was it might have been longer, was it? Jack had three and a half. Three and or, a half, yeah. Or over three and a half, just about. I think the last game against Plymouth, it was Cowley's, the anniversary of Cowley's first game as Pompey manager. That, so that, Cowley had ten games left years. last that's, season. Especially this day, that's a long time. Like Port seems to be like quite fairly patient managers. Like, I know Cook left off his own back to go to um to Wigan. Like you seem to be like pretty patient with managers and give them the, the time they need to really put their ideas in and go for how um go, reach the targets which they set. But not I mean it's not it's gonna be um no secret the the, the target for Danny Nicky Cowley is to get you guys into the championship. Like that's fairly fairly like well documented. So. Like the fact um you're like giving him um this sort of time, he's definitely improving you, taking you, getting his ideas in. And I think the next season, Ports, even if it's not looking like you won with the plus next year, you're definitely be challenging up there again. Like I think I've got no question about that. Yeah, and I think we 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 had such a big turnover of players that we've had. Yeah, there, I think fifteen exactly. in or something like that. You had to clear off a lot of wages as well to enable us to bring in some more players. And I think, you know, on the positive side, that's something that we can look to in the summer. And me and Freddie have always said, and I think that the same as what the club have said, in these three transfer windows, really, to revamp the squad. So we didn't expect to, to necessarily get promoted. I think we said eighth at the start of the season. I think the fans are actually quite... Oh, you know, you get the, you get a couple of people, don't you, in every fan base. But generally, the fans are very much behind behind the management now and behind the team. And we just, we can see it as a project. It's going in the right direction. You know, the fans generally love the interaction with the management as well. It's, it's really brought the club together after the dreary sort of like... Um, Last 18 months on the jacket. 
yeah, you know, we're all going out and there's me on, I, I did a, some stupid take on ITV Meridian and just sort of like, you know, uh, to get him out and all that kind of thing. And it was, it was not a very nice period of time talking about it because we go for every week and we just got people bombarding us with messages and we're like, we do agree, but how long can we talk about getting Jacket out when the, when the, the, um, the ownership was so patient. I mean, you could say about being too patient, patient, if anything, really, wasn't it? Too patient it was, really. You know, it got so stale at the end. But, you know, moving on from that now, really, because we are looking good. You know, we've got a system that's working better. We're playing a lot much, you know, much more attractive football to watch from a, you know, from, I mean, obviously it's game to game, but just generally speaking, we've got better players. We're looking interesting, but... All right, anyway, let's get off that topic and let's get to the, the juicy bit at the end of the podcast and say... <laughs> Alex, what is your score prediction for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers, please? I'm going to go with 1-1. I think it'll be a draw. I think both teams, both teams, as we touched on, will be coming out to win the game. I think when you've got something like that, it's, there's a high chance that there'll be goals scored. I think it's going to be difficult for us um, to, to, to keep Portsmouth out. I think you're pretty good at home, like really good home support, always loud behind the goal. And I think that definitely does influence... Um, how how much how matches go? Of course it does. So I'm going to go one all goal scorers. I mean, this is just a bit of a pun. I'm going to say it's harness fit. Yeah, I'm going to go for harness. He's come back from suspension for this game. So okay, so he'll, he'll be he'll be um had a little had a little rest as well. Then so yeah, def, definitely harness for you then. And well, I'll just say, folks. I mean, <laughs> I can't go against my boy, can I? Yeah, don't need to as well because there's no odds on this podcast, so it's not as if you're not going to make as much money when when the obvious person scores, for instance, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, there we are, (laughs) Alex. Mate, it's been great having you on the show. Um, Tell people where they can find you. Um, You can get me on Twitter. I mean, God forbid if you want to do that at alexbroom underscore. Instagram is alex underscore broom, and yeah, don't add me on Facebook. I don't even open the app. So there we are. Yeah, well, same here, mate. But anyway. Cheers, Alex, and we might see you for a pint on Saturday. Nice one, yeah. It'd be, it'd be good to um, see, see you boys for, for a beer or two before the game. I think we're getting the training stupidly early, so whether my whether I'll be able to fat my way into where you guys are, I don't know. But yeah, it's going to be a... It feels like it's going to be a long day for us. I think we're, I'm planning on leaving the flat about half seven and then straight to the station, which is... like. I don't know whether it's going to be a long day or too long of a day. But either way, Portsmouth's the way is always a good day out. It's, um, I, I love the stadium. It's always it's always um, a nice one to go to. Thanks to my sixth time maybe doing it with Wickham. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You got a challenge there then to be more pissed than Freddie's mates from Sunderland who came down. Couldn't remember any of the beer orders, falling everywhere. <laughs> so that's, that's your I, challenge there. I try, I try and save my um, big alcohol consumption for after the game. I think I've had one or two bad experiences. Um before the game so I've just tried really just get get me into the football let me watch the football and after that I'll just I'll get as drunk as you like yeah. that, that's what I try and say to Hugh but he doesn't listen <laughs> yeah get tequila shots out Freddie here we go mate it's, I think Absolutely it's time to bring not. We'll, go, we'll go back to the Sambuca are we is that the luckiest one fine so far yeah oh, we do well oh, to get a Sambuca down there I had one chucked at me the other day before into the stand, which meant people who sat next to you were like, a bit early for Sambu, Greenwich Hughes. I was like, fuck's sake, you know. <laughs> you just smelling a blick for it, you're disgusting. Anyway, Alex, we'll speak soon, mate. Hopefully on Saturday, but thanks again for the podcast. Nice one. Cheers, have me on. Cheers, dude. Thanks, Alex, for coming on the podcast. It's quite interesting, isn't it, seeing with, with Wickham how the far they've come as a team. And still with Alex's expectations of teams coming down from the championship, 
and not having some sort of right to be going back up again. Yeah, it's a very like a stoic approach, isn't it? Isn't it from a, from a fan base, which is very surprising. Um, so, some fans of some clubs in this division don't have that. Um, maybe it's because Wickham being in the championship for the first time last season, the way they got promoted through the playoffs, the fact that they were close enough, but then ultimately weren't good enough in the end, which was a shame for them. Yeah, maybe that maybe all those things came together. Um, Wickham is still a very good side. I know Pompey beat them 1-0, but like we mentioned, Wickham absolutely battered us. The XG was through the roof, which was fairly obvious from watching the game. And yeah, it's going to be very hard to play a very physical side with considering the amount of games that the Pompey players have played now and the fact that it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Wickham is one of the last teams you want to play in that stretch, isn't it? Yeah, massively. And as Alex touched on, it's two teams who have quite good defensive records. Wickham had a bit of a slip when they went from that sort of seven game run of not doing very well. And they sort of, the defensive structure didn't look as good. But you look at their results. Um, I forgot, I had this page up. Neither. Yeah, but if you look at the recent results and, you know, after that, that losing streak, you, you, they beat uh, Cambridge at home 3-0, one away at Crew 3-1. So they're two teams that could be quite beatable. Though Pompey did struggle to score against Cambridge. They got a good 0-0 draw against Rotherham and then Nick's one at the end against Fleetwood in the, in the sort of last minute to get a win 1-0 and keep their playoff, you know, drive going forward. There's two very good defensive teams here, Freddie. Do you think this is going to be a very boring stalemate game where potentially a nil-nil? I mean, it could be. Could be. Um, considering that Pompey played a bit more defensive in the last two games and we've had problems going up front, I think it could be a low-scoring game. But then, but then again, we've, with, the, with the analytics being what they were in the last game and the fact that... Danny Cowley will think will throw. I think he'll, he'll throw more cautions to win tactically this time, purely because I think now they need to win all these games. So maybe they'll go a bit more attacking anyway. It, it could go either way. Very on the fence answer, but I, I'm I'm really not sure at this point. I'm really not sure where the, where this team is in comparison to the rest of the playoff chases at the moment. I don't think they're good enough, but there's always that glimmer of hope that um, that they could. Nick a win in a high-scoring game. Yeah, you think, wouldn't you? Both teams really having to win, and Wickham really need to win as well to keep the pressure on those teams ahead of them that just keep winning, as we all know. So hence why we've been stuck in tenth, even though we've been on a really good run as well. We spoke quite a lot about this already in this game with Alex. So let's get into the nitty-gritty at the end, Freddie, so we can all log off. I can do the production. We can get this out to the listeners. So Freddie Webb, I want to know your goals, please, for the game. And the scoreline. I want to know your. I want to know your scoreline for the game on Saturday against Wickham and any goal scorers, please. Uh, I agree with Alex. I'm going to go over one or draw. I'm going to say Marcus Harness scores on this game back after his suspension. He's going to be very lively. He enjoys playing against Wickham. Uh, but I think a real stalwart um, who wasn't mentioned that much will score for Wickham. Gareth McCleary. Old vet, old vet, playing incredibly well in this division. He he seems to cut above it technically. Get, gets around a lot. Seven goals, six assists in the league is 
a, a very good return for more of a winger. So yeah, I think he will score Wickham's goal for the chair boys. It'll be one, one. I was just looking to see if he is injured. They might just start David Wheeler for jokes, mate, in this game. Just to, Oh, don't you know, mention his name. Just to, just to uh, get an ex-Pompey player scoring a goal right against us. Just just, mm. to, just to keep that run going. But no, I'm going to go for... Oh, do I want to be optimistic? Do you know what? I really don't know either, Freddie. I, I sort of feel like after having this, this loss against Plymouth and watching it... I've just got a little bit... It's kicked the wind out of your sails, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Fuck it. 2-1 Pompey. At home. Why not? Let's just go confident. Do the players know this is death now? They've got to get out there and win this game. Wickham will think the same as well. But I think, it, in theory, it could go either way. I don't want to go for a 1-1 draw as well, like you and Alex, because that's just boring for everyone listening. So I'm going to go for a 2-1 Pompey win. Marcus Harness and a goal from George Hurst as well. And then I think they'll nick one back. Potentially... Let's have a quick think. Really is a little bit difficult to have a think. It's going to be Vokes. Yeah, it's got to be Vokes. I've got to go safe on that one. Freddie, it's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you so much. Um, We do have to give one more shout out to a listener who... uh, graciously donated on we buy me a coffee as well yeah thanks to, to james samuel turner for the coffee um who seems to be your biggest fan freddie and he's told me to stop bullying you on the in the comments so do I, you, I, I, I think that's also that's also uh pointed at andy surely <laughs> has to be pointed at andy let's be honest mm. andy mm. you're not on the podcast but you've got to sort yourself out mate this is just bang out of order yeah so you've been yeah. told yeah you know okay <laughs> We can't tell if it's character building or not. We haven't decided. I mean, is it, Freddie, are you sure this is not a, a burner account of yours? No, no, it, it is not, no. It's not, it's not like one of your family or, or someone else like that, uh, really? No, or no. no? Okay, fair enough. I'm just that clearing that up. I'm just clearing that up right now. I thought I'd ask you while we're here, but all right, Pompey fans, until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.